says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for another instant reaction breakdown where the Eels have somehow found a way to rip our hearts out in new and impressive ways almost is my good mate, 60s. Whew, these are the ones that suck the breakdown, mate, but let's get into it. Parramatta Eels, 34 into the Manly Warringah Seagulls, 34 in a game that was won and lost about half a dozen times in the final 20 minutes. I, I honestly couldn't keep track of what we counted twists and turns. Uh, out some really improvised, industrious plays, some terrible plays, some good officiating, some poor officiating. This game was a, a very high-quality shit game, I think is probably the way I'd describe it. But unfortunately, the Eels on the wrong side of the scoreline again, and now they're on free. What was your first takes on this one, mate? I'm just angry. I'm trying to compose myself at the moment, mate. I am just, I'm fuming. I'm fuming on so many levels. Um, yeah, I, I need to get my thoughts together because I'm going to start throwing shots at different uh, reasons for our loss. And I, I need to make sure in my mind that I'm happy with what I have to say. So I'll, I'll let you rattle off a few stats before I start uh, throwing uh, a few barbs in different people's directions. Well, let's start with the try scorers list. For Manly, Ruben Garrick opened the scoring in the seventh minute, followed by a Tom Tobojevic double. Brad Parker tacking on before Homoli Olokowatu critically scoring a brace of his own in the 68th and 76th minute to put the game in the uh, winner's column for Manly. Ruben Garrick, not too sharp off the kicking day, actually. He's usually very good, but fourth from six in this game, giving the Eels a cry, still a sniff. He did add a penalty goal to... For Parramatta, <clears throat> Clinton Gufferson, well, he bagged a big double. He had a very good game, actually, the captain, Quinton. Uh, Matt Dury did score but couldn't finish the game with concern about his knee. We'll talk about that later. Mike Acevo scoring a double of his own with Josh Hodgson scoring her, his first try for the Parramatta Eels and one of the more bizarre ones you'll see this season, I think. Uh, unfortunately for the Eels, Mitch Moses continues to struggle to find radar off the kicking tee. Uh, it wasn't sharp against Melbourne or Cronulla and it carried through to this game, missing three of his six attempts, crucially, given that it was a four-point buffer between the two teams. Quick look at team stats before we get into the uh, talking points, mate. Parramatta ahead on possession right now. But bear in mind, we didn't see any stats update because we are just talking. Josh Hodgson's been credited with like 14 run metres or something like that, and he had a 40-metre try. So just bear in mind that these stats are probably not final. But Eels ahead on possession, 53 to 47%. Time possession just under three minutes in their favour. Both teams having abysmal completion rates, 64% for Parramatta, 66% for Manly. Eels ahead on runs and run meters, mainly better in the post-contact states. Five line breaks to three in Parramatta's favor, favor sorry, but mainly breaking five more tackles, 29 to 24. Uh, the Eels having the slower play, the ball speed, 347 to 309, no surprises there. Uh, way more offloads for the blue and gold, 20 to 8. Unfortunately, one of them was the offload by Jermaine Hopgood, which was the second of Hamali Lokawatu's tries. Uh, then we go down to the kick defusal, both teams. Terrible here, wow. Uh, Manly 40%, but Parramatta down at 14%, getting that ball in the full. That is awful. Uh, Eels at 86-28 effective tackle rate. I'm surprised it's that, that high. Manly under 84%. And then we get to the negative plays. 14 errors for the Eels, 13 for Manly. Seven penalties conceded by the Blue and Gold, six for the home team. Two inside tens against Parramatta. And it has, only, it has one play on report for Manly 
zero for the Eels, but that's not true because Reg was put on report uh, post-fact for what I believe was a shoulder charge or at least being cited as a shoulder charge. But that's the tail of the tape in terms of the team stats. Individually, uh, there's always some good contributions uh, in the back line. Gufferson, Panasini, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, all very good. They were all over 100, some of them very much so in the case of Will Panasini and Dylan Brown. Uh, in the forwards, no big meters from the starting pack. Regin Jr., 120 and 136, respectively there. Bryce Cartwright, 135 meters. He was pretty solid. Uh, off the interchange, Makahesi Makatoa, vastly improved effort from him, 60s. 30 run, 13 runs, 139 meters, uh, 53 of which were post-contact. Uh, aside from that, though, I'm not surprised as these stats sort of reflect the scrappy nature of the game. Lots of points, but not many quality contributions between the 20s. Mate, first of all, you just mentioned Makahesi Makatoa. I want to give him uh, a bit of a thumbs up here because I thought he brought some energy when he first came onto the field. And when the Eels started to get a bit of a roll on in the back half of the first half, I thought he was a big part of that. Yeah. I thought he's I mean, that, that, that is what we were having a, having a talk about, wasn't it? That these guys are coming in for what had been limited minutes. So we needed to see him come in and rip it in. And Macca didn't just have a limited stint here. He actually got, if I look at it, 28 minutes. He got a very healthy run on the field there, and he certainly made the most of it. So that, that's very good to see. On the flip side, I thought Wirimu didn't make the most of his opportunity. He was thrown into the game late when all the team was, well, both teams should have been fatigued, 15 minutes, and he ended up just getting belted. Uh, he, he was unfortunately knocked over a few times. Uh, but, yeah, Makatoa doing that sort of thing, well, that's a step in the right direction on the interchange an interchange that will hopefully be boosted next week by the return of Madison, but now we're pensive on the health statuses of both Matt Dury uh, with that knee and then the man that replaced him on the edge, Jack Murchie, well, he got caught, uh, he got caught what looked to be a, a shot in the face. So we have to wait and see whether he's going to be a cat one uh, ruling on that HIA because his nose was busted up good. So we, it might be a case of getting one man back but losing two, which would be very Parramatta after what we saw last year in the back line and now it's only on the edges. Yeah, mate, I'm I'm starting to get my thoughts together here. It, it really hasn't changed too much from how I felt during the game and right at the end of the game. Obviously, we're still having pumpkin head moments. Oh, the amount of and times it, I, I was just yelling at TV, stop throwing the ball around, you know, just centre it and, you know, go back to structure. Like, I get that we are a second-phase team when we're at our best, but we are forcing it at times and it is killing us. But we, some of the errors that we made in not being able to complete sets in the, I mean, in the first 20 minutes, I think we completed three sets. It was something like three out of eight. And mm-hmm. it might have been after 22 or 23 minutes. It was, it was an absurd stat like that. And Manly and pounced on it with that 14-point lead. Absolutely. Now, we can't even, we can't even point the finger at, at one person because... The errors just spread right across the team with you know someone like tonight, Hopgood, who's who's been just a class above the other players in a lot of the games. He throws the crucial intercept pass just as we're really going to make a strong charge right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Will, Will Pensini. Outstanding in he, all facets of the outstanding. game. Outstanding. Absolutely. But, but Simonson... Yeah, Simonson kicks it ahead on a broken down fifth tackle play where Moses' pass hits the ground. Bailey, who had, we'll talk about him shortly, he had his own blemishes in this game, weaves what must be said was a brilliant kick and Will put chases through. The ball breaks past Tommy and he just can't pull it in and drops it before the line. 
uh, Josh Hodgson gives away a penalty, which I, I have to say I thought was assisted by Reg, unfortunately. Reg pulled him back through the ruck uh, when we had a strong defensive set. Dylan, who was outstanding in this game, running the ball, uh, I thought he was concussed because he just tried to get to his feet too quickly and was on ice. Plays the ball poorly and, and turns the ball over. Mitch's goal kicking we've already spoken about, but that wasn't great. But we mentioned Bailey Simonson. Well, there was a 40-20 attempt, and it was identical to what Mitchell Moses tried in the first half, actually. That broke the wrong way, but he tries to bat it back to Gufferson, but Gufferson wasn't there. Pinball for the the, ball, the bouncing footy and the Manly, Manly Seagulls score. It was actually a, like a litany of comical mistakes at times, wasn't it? Oh, it, Basically, you could go point-counterpoint all the way through this. So I was just saying with Will... An outstanding game from him, absolutely outstanding, and that that point where he couldn't pick up the ball, like literally right on the line, where it was like pick it up, place it down. Now, it, it I I can't be critical of Will because he, as I said, he was one of the best players on the field. He was threatening with every carry. It, it's probably typical of what's happening at the start of this season. And then you you look at the outstanding game of Clint Gutherson tonight. But that tap, that bat back that Simonson did to prevent the 40-20, if you look at what was happening... Yeah, Gaffo took a long arc, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, he stays... He he makes the decision to, take to stay arc. distance in field. Mm. And, yeah. and for the life of me, I don't understand why. Then then let me also talk about um, a couple of tackles from Gutherson. Gutherson makes that outstanding try save... Onto a Pilotu. Onto a Pilotu. But that first try, uh, maybe I'm being harsh here, but I, I thought to myself, could could there have been more that was um, that was made on the Ruben manly Garrick. winger there, um, Garrick, in because Garrick just seemed to catch the ball and just carry it over the line in the tackle, where I didn't think there was a huge amount that was put into the tackle. Now again, I could be really really harsh there, and but I. I don't know. I mean, I looked at it and I just thought, is there more going to go into the tackle here? Like, am I being harsh? Because, I mean, he had an absolutely outstanding game. Without Gutho, we don't get back into the game. No. Yeah, and he... here we go. And now I'm going to continue with the point-counterpoint because uh, Mitch Moses, in general play, absolutely outstanding. Goal-kicking. Yeah. I, yeah, he's, uh, he, he was, I, I had the ball on a string right and left. We saw the try system at Dury. Then we saw a certain fullback sort of type of pass that Parramatta's had in, in years gone by where he came on that left edge and fired a 20-metre cutout to Sevo. Like, spectacular, like you said, general play, playmaking, but he's a sharpshooter off the kicking team. He's just nowhere near where his best is right now. Well, I can argue that if he's kicking his goals, we win the first three matches. Yes, yeah. yeah, and that, that is the, the tragic comedy of this opening round is that we're 0-3, very realistically, if if but a few mistakes here and there, we're three and zero, and instead of being on top of the ladder, looking down at the rest of the competition, we are now maybe sort of prying our fingers off a potential top four finish because these are the losses that you can't continue to have if you want to be a top four finisher. As I said, I'm just angry because it, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We are finding we are seriously finding ways of losing this. There was the old saying about the North Sydney team mm. could snatch mm. defeat from, from the, the jaws, jaws of victory. victory. Yeah. And we've done it three weeks in a row now. And it's 
it's coming on the back of errors that just shouldn't be made. Look, look at the manly tries that were scored. Yeah, well, look at the errors that were associated. That were either directly, with directly from it, whether it was the forty twenty tip back or the intercept, or coming the set after a mistake or a penalty from the Parramatta Eels. Yeah, where. I mean, those first two tries from Manly, we're in position, in possession, we're attacking deep in their quarter and and we're giving the ball away. It's just like... Uh, I, we had the... we Like, one of them, it was... Uh, I think it was... I'm just trying to think exactly how it unfolded, but it was lost possession on the attack... And then I think there was a piggyback penalty, and then we're conceding a try, and it, and it was and it was very similar again. The the uh, the next time I think um, we had was it um, Gutherson penalised for that kick where he took the uh, took obstruction. advantage. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Uh, now that was that was second half, but again that was that led to a try when we were had our first sort of fight back that we were making it change the whole momentum at that point. It's, as I said, I'm mate, I'm angry. And then I can, I can point the finger at an atrocious refereeing call with that forward pass. Well, yeah, re- we haven't mentioned it, but Quentin Guff, I mean, it should have been a penalty at the very least because that entire ruck was an absolute debacle, whether it was being slowed down, interfered with, and then not straight markers. But Gufferson throws a clearly backwards pass to Reg, who does a tremendous job to keep his ball-carrying arm off the ground and score. And instead of being a critical lead-building try, the Eels have a penalty against them. So, yeah. Oh, not penalty, oh, but, sorry, a forward pass score. So, but, look, it, I'm not in any way going to point the finger at the referee as the reason for the loss because there were six tries that we conceded and I would argue that none of them should have been conceded. Uh, even even when it's a piece of magic like Schuster put on with that little chip and chase, that had resulted from a line break that should never have happened when Wonga Blake... Yeah, Wonga at sea defensively in this game again, it felt like he, he did struggle there. He was falling off tackles. That's the point. He falls off tackles. I and what they're going down for. Very quickly. I... I I think they've got him down for quite a few. Four, four missed missed from, from 15 attempts. Ten tackles, four missed, one ineffective. Yeah, yeah. So effect, essentially um, five misses from yeah, 15. F- yeah, from 15. So uh, 66% strike rate. So not great. No, it's not. And the thing is, and we've talked about this before, and I'm, I'm not going to point the finger solely at Wonga Blake for the loss because... Again, Manly scored six tries, so the, there are errors all over the park that contributed to that. Whether it was an error in the try itself, whether it was an error in the lead up to the try, um, he was simply complicit in one of those um, try scoring movements that that uh, led to Manly getting uh, points on the board when they shouldn't have, when they should have been probably kicking from deep inside their own half. And there's plenty of other players who made mistakes or made wrong decisions, whatever the case may be. Like, again, it's, I don't put this, it's not recorded as a mistake, but 
I think it was a wrong decision, for example, what I talked about before, where Gutho re- made the choice to remain deep in field when Simonson was tapping that ball back in. Uh, but that won't be recorded as an error from Gutherson. And I'm, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to point the finger at Gutherson there because, as I said, I, I brought it up with point counterpoint with all the good play and then something where it just wasn't quite right. Um, and I, I don't back away from that. I think that should have been a, a play where he got across and backed up from behind where his winger was. And it looked like, it always looked like Simonson was going to go for the bat back. And I think he had himself in the worst possible position for the bat back. Um, I don't want to be too harsh. We're being couch critics here. and uh, But when we're now looking at a 0-3 start... We're going to look at where are where were those key moments that we lost. That was one of those key moments. And it was uh, interesting this game too because coming into it, there have been a lot spoken about Brad Arthur's bench rotations or a lack thereof, and we saw a pretty healthy rotation here. Junior comes off early, or not early, but midway through the first half, comes back in after a short break. Reg gets rotated. Hopgood gets rotated. So they, they used all their bench forwards here. So we, yeah. we saw Murchie come in. We saw Mamasir come in. We saw Makatoa get very good minutes, and then we saw, obviously, Greg get that short stint, which I said was, in my opinion, somewhat disappointing, given that he came in where, in a junction where both teams were very fatigued and he could have been a difference maker. But, yeah, the, the bench was used. I would argue that at the back end of both halves that Parramatta looked a bit fitter and stronger than what the Sea Eagles did. And I think that came down to match fitness – um, people might argue that a bit of the bench rotation happened by result of injuries um, and forced changes, but I would, I'm, I'm with you that we saw changes there at specific points with with players that maybe you don't expect to be interchanged uh, here and there. And uh, Hopgood, for example. Uh, I thought it was. I thought maybe he was injured at first when he uh, was replaced. But given that he came back on, um, I'm assuming then that he wasn't. You mentioned that short break for um, Junior, the long minutes for Makatoa. Look, I, as I said, I think that the Eels did what they needed to do in terms of what was happening in the middle. But it was just, it's just and just on that. And I'm wondering whether I'm imagining this or not. Yes, Manly were defending reasonably well at the start, but I thought the commentary was way over the yeah, top. Yeah, it was. About the physical about, dominance uh, yeah. that was happening. I, I noted that too when I, when I was watching it with, like, yeah, there was a couple of big hits here and there, but the Eels were still getting very comfortable metres. It, yeah. was, it wasn't like Manly were hemming us in our own 20 or 30 metre mark. We are pushing out the halfway pretty comfortably, pretty consistently. Uh, but, yeah, and, and that physicality so it certainly fell off in the second half when the Eels were running home with all these points. Uh, so, yeah, it just it's a reminder that coverage can have certain biases too when it comes to those sort of things. So It was almost like there was bandwagoning that was going on between the commentators or, you know, some sort of narrative that they were going to run with the physicality of um, of the Manly forwards. And as I said... Yeah, they, they were defending well, but I was thinking this is a different game that I'm watching because I'm not seeing 
uh, a complete dominance here. Um, in fact, uh, Parramatta missed that early opportunity to get momentum back with turning the ball over. And we probably shouldn't have let them get out to that 14 to nil lead. But we pulled it back fairly easy and we were running right over the top of them at the back end of the first half. I didn't want half time to come. Yeah, it was, the, it was definitely, the a, definitely a bad break in the game for us there. We were running right over them. And then Oranges comes. We get the ball in the second half. Murchie loses it. And we didn't bleed points there. Obviously, Guffer goes on to score that. <laughs> so I, I say remarkable, but uh, that was pretty poor defense for Manly. But it scores his second try. But yeah, it certainly hurt us, didn't it? It was one of those ones where you'd want to play on for another 15, 20. Yeah. Now, I don't know. How do you... How does a team go about eliminating the, the sorts of errors that we saw tonight? How does the coach go about eliminating those sorts of errors? Because let's be brutally honest, the options for team selections in terms of who's available in the roster continue to diminish. You've said that um, comment, uh, commented earlier that there's every chance that we've lost even though we pick up one player next week, we lose two more. Yeah, so, in, in a spot where we're already razor thin in depth. Uh, I know that Maddo does bolster that by being a plus one, but you go on minus two potentially on Murchie and Dorian. You're, you're really hoping that Matt has not re-injured that knee seriously because that would be devastating for both him and the team. Uh, and for, for Murchie, you'd think maybe it's a week on the sideline, but we're at a point where a week means a lot. Uh, if yeah. he does get sidelined, because we're hosting the Penrith Panthers next week, you know this uh, it's doesn't it, it doesn't look promising, does it? No, so it does not all go well. Uh, we we mean you look at that reserve grade team sixties, and we spoke about it in the preview. They've they've gone through their own struggles. They've arguably been our worst performing grade. Honestly, I know Flegg's got it's, it's taking its own lumps too. But you look at the players available in Reggie's, and they've been very very ordinary. Uh, well. But, we spoke about it on the podcast. There's something like in the name team, there was only something like five players on a top 30 contract that were named in the New South Wales Cup team. That's a measure of how thin the list of available players just happens to be at the moment. We've got a roster of 27 contracted players in the top 30. So we're playing three short right now. Then you had three players that were unavailable because of injury or suspension. So we're talking about Lane. We're talking about uh, Madison. We're talking about Sean Russell there. So we're down to 24. Realistically, we're down to 23 because Hayes Dunster, even though he played last week, he is still working his way back to being able and to play first And we're just straight. getting Dejan Arcee back this week. Yeah, that's right. And Dejan Arcee is only just returning now. So uh, he's not going to come – he's not going to make a first-grade debut when he hasn't been available during the preseason. And he's only just able to return to reserve grade right now. So essentially, the Eels had a 22-player squad from which to select players this week. And that basically amounts to us having that five, the five players that I mentioned being available in uh, New South Wales Cup this week that, uh, that have a first-grade contract. So the options for what we do going forward, um, 
look, there's people calling for certain players to be dropped or certain players to be brought in. Until you right now, um, if you haven't been watching the New South Wales Cup team in the first couple of weeks, it's unfortunate, but there isn't the form there to warrant players coming up. You, any time you make a change, you have to be saying, am I going to be bringing in someone who is going to do a better job than the person who's there? And I put it to you, Forty, is from what you've seen now in a couple of weeks of New South Wales Cup, have you seen anyone that you feel takes the place of someone well, who's currently in the NRL team? The, the two or three players that have put their hands up for prospective contention are both young and not in the top 30. So, Well, that's – yeah, but I, we have to be talking about eligible players. That's, that's right. So you can – I mean, you can try and seek dispensation. The Eels might be in a case next week where they'll have a strong case for it if they're out down that many back rowers, which may open the path for uh, a, a long shot debut for a, a young kid, maybe. But yeah, the reality is that your Reggie, and this is why you always want a strong Reggie team, don't you, Sixties? It's something we've really emphasised in recent years, and we've we've had the luxury of good reserve grade teams up until this point. Uh, for whatever reason, they're really behind the eight ball this year, and the, the players that should be putting themselves in positions to compete for these exact opportunities when there are struggles in first grade, well, they've done the exact same thing. And unfortunately, it means that they're going to have an opportunity past them and that the coaches are probably going to have to pick the same players that are struggling in reserve gra- uh, sorry struggling in NRL right now until the likes of Sean Russell and Sean Lane are back. So it, it doesn't bode well, does it? It's unfortunate, poor timing on a macro level. And yeah, uh, yeah, just really, really frustrating. And you know, like I said, the the long shot might be that you know we're down two or three back rollers next week, and we seek an exemption to play someone like Tony Matteoli, who me and you are both very keen on seeing make his NRL debut at some point this year. But you're, you're throwing him into a pretty big cauldron, aren't you? Home game against the reigning premiers, where zero and three backs against the wall. Like I don't know. It just yeah. once again we, we we're talking about this, but this was such a winnable game. Oh, like, and, and that, that's what makes it so thing. maddening. Oh, look the other the other part again, and without um, pointing the finger at at the blame for the loss, but it, it's a, it's an absolute fact. Is if we kick the goals, and some of these were very very kickable. Yeah, there was one if to the right the that goals. was almost a carbon copy of the one Mitch missed against Melbourne, I think it was, where he punched it left. So he struck it left badly, and even a couple of the ones he added on after that were hit flat and hard to the left. and looked like he overcompensated and got out wide and floaty to the right on those late tries that could have put us in the lead or a share of the lead. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's harsh to say, but the goals get kicked and we're talking about a, a three-win, no-loss start to the season. I mean, it, it's as blunt as that. And when you have a kicker who is acknowledged as, like, his kicking, his kicking is one of the things that make him an elite player, it's a shame. You know, like, we're, we're missing something that is... I mean, you. We need to be able to bank going up in sixes more than what we are at the moment. It's been costly to us, 
he is not I, I want to emphasize this he wasn't the reason for the loss last week he was arguably close to the best player on the field last week he was instrumental in a number of positive things that we did tonight but you know this, and this is probably one of the maddening things about these opening weeks is that there are a combination of reasons why we are losing and having poor making poor decisions making key errors and not being able to defend them missing missing kicks that are probably kickable um just uh, missing try scoring opportunities when they're literally on a platter turning possession over when we're deep in attack and trying to build some pre- like we can just talk about all of these errors and and this is from a team that is down in troops yeah and in a couple of key spots not too yeah. similar to last year we're having bad luck out wide at both the backs position and on the edges and each time you see a player go down like we saw tonight uh, it it hurts that much more uh, you know in wing center we've just lost Sean Russell we don't we have not had clarity on what the issue is there I know there some rumors floating around on socials uh, putting him in a sort of four to six week period on someone claiming to know but we, we just don't know uh, on top of that uh, Hayes Dunster is making a slow and steady rebuild into his best last week against the Jets he didn't play the full game did he 60s they, they took him on a minutes restriction uh, to you know make sure he stayed healthy so our options out wide are already sparse I know we, we've sort of criticized Wanga, but you know your options there are Dejan Arce if he comes out of this week looking good and healthy and match fit and Zach Sini who we had high hopes for but has really struggled defensively early in this season which is if you're struggling defensively in reserve grade you don't think it's going to translate that well to a, a team that's also struggling out wide in the NRL and then on well the- we we are we are fans of the attitude of Zach Sini we are fans of his his fight and competitiveness when he's carrying the ball. Um, there are a lot of people out there who are calling for his elevation into first grade, but those people would not have watched the first couple of weeks of the season because the area of his game that he needs to work on to be an NRL player is his defensive reads. Now, people people might jump up and down and say, well, it's not going to be any better or any worse than some of the reads or efforts that are being made by Wonga Blake. Uh, look, maybe that's, maybe that's an arguable point. However, what we come down to is that, first of all, Zach Sini's outside of the top 30. So BA can't say, um, I want dispensation for Zach Sini. I mean, the club can apply because, for it, but the NRL can laugh in their faces. You know, yes, yeah. Because he, he can't say, look, I want dispensation because I, 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 I want to play him instead of this other player. They would just come straight out and say, uh, well, upgrade him. You've got spots there. Yeah. Upgrade or him. Hayes, Hayes Dunster's playing reserve grade. Use him. Yeah, exactly. So, and I can tell you right now, I, I, I don't think they're going to be upgrading anyone unless they are in a in a position where they feel they don't have any option. And, and but by, to do by that. the same token, with free roster spots open, you'd expect the recruitment retention committee to make a move soon, if not two, because it, it is obvious right now the roster is struggling for depth. 
Like we, we um, need options at centre. We need options in the back row. It, they cannot they cannot be sitting on their hands right no, now. No, absolutely now, not. It's, now, it, obviously, decisions are impacted by who is available. But we can't be sitting on 27. I, I don't know how we would be allowed to be sitting on 27 players for an extended period of time right now. Like, surely... Yeah, well... The NRL we, we keep mentioning dispensation. The Eels clearly have to have applied for something there, too, because they're past the deadline. Well and truly past the deadline, they have 28 registered players, and they're down to 27. When is the, when's the deadline for 29? Uh, that's a good question, because you need to have your 30 locked in for post-June uh, June 30, was it? Uh, yeah. So And they, they brought forward that 30th player to... To June thirty was um, in I think start of September, I think from memory. Like they because of COVID, they'd put it back to there, and then it was I think wasn't it going to be this year? I think that they changed that, so it had it came back to what it was before of that um, that June thirty. But I've got a feeling that where they had the twenty ninth player had to be announced. Um, mid-year last year, I had it in the back of my mind that they'd put it back to around the start of the, mm-hmm. the season. Now, I'd have to go and double-check that. It hasn't been high on my list of priorities to double-check. But regardless, you cannot be as competitive as you should be if you have a 27-player roster and you are and you have injuries and you knew you were taking injuries into the season. Cannot cannot argue with that, right? So something needs to be done. Decisions have to be made and they have to be made soon because with every passing week, when there is a weakened roster and as we've talked about tonight, we're potentially down another two players as a result of this week, we know that we're down at least one middle and one outside back from the roster before the season started. We looked at the roster and that was that was an obvious. We need a middle, we need an we need an outside back. Now we've got a third position that needs to be filled. I mean, where would you go? Would you go another outside back? Would you go a middle forward? Oh I, I would argue that at full strength we've got bigger issues at the centres. Uh, I think that's where I'd like to see more depth. This is all pending how Dejan Arcee comes out. I haven't, we haven't had a chance to look at him. So maybe he can help there, but that is still a big if in the context of what we know. Uh, but right now, right now, if, if these injuries trend, uh, we might be in some trouble on the edge. So I, I don't know, mate. Like, and that's the thing. Like, need needs to be met by opportunity. Like we have these holes, but other players out there to go get them. Uh, I know that. Paul, Paul Monorowski over the Roosters has been given a chance to, or apparently has been given a chance to negotiate with rivals for a release, but he's also under a concussion cloud. He's not ready to play. So, like, there, there are guys out there, but either they're not ready to go or maybe they're not the best fit, but we need to find something, don't we? Uh, I know we'll link to Syrenham from the Super League. That'd be pretty special right now. If you can make, maybe you've got to move the mountains and make that happen. Yeah, I'm just. Just bear with me, and you can uh, talk away while I just jump in to um, 
zero tackle. I just want to check something about Momorowski because I think this, as you said, there's a debate about, um, you know, who we might be uh, bringing in, who's available. Momorowski was a name which has been coming up on social media quite a lot. Um, but there's, you know, there's different things. Uh, I, I was hoping that there was some details there about the size of his of the contract that he's on, and he's got he's signed with them till the end of two thousand and twenty four. I don't know what sort of contract that he's on. Um, you you said they were looking at giving him permission to negotiate. Is that right? That was the rumours from media this week is that he's been given uh, because obviously that Roosters back one is absolutely stacked it's got about seven fullbacks in five positions it feels like uh, yeah he's been or he asked for permission to negotiate elsewhere and I believe it's been given okay well I think what it comes down to is what the Roosters would be willing to pay of his contract because a little quid he's going, maybe with Nathan, with Nathan Brown going their way and uh, Momorowski coming our way? I don't know that there was any such... No, but that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. The negotiation might be, you know, we paid X percentage of Brown's deal. So, you know, maybe you should be paying X or Y percentage of uh, the deal coming back the other way. I, you never know if there's NRL negotiations, but the reality is one way or the other, the Eels have to go find uh, a warm body even to put into these spots. Yeah, and of course the other thing is too that uh, Momorowski, he's, as I said, I just wanted to check how long he's contracted for. He's got this year and next year with uh, under contract with the Roosters. So he's going to want a deal to go elsewhere that's going to be at least this year and next year, and he's going to want to be guaranteed whatever money that he's on at the moment, at a minimum. And... Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with any sort of negotiations. I, I guess any any chance of uh, recruiting him means that the Eels would have to be happy to um, pay the sort of money, especially next year, of what he's on this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't see the Roosters as someone as a club that's going to pay too much of a player's contract to play elsewhere. Over two years, I just don't see them being that that sort of club. So, um, and, and we know that they're pretty good at their salary cap management. So, um, yeah, oh. so so good that it actually prompted a response from Shane Richardson this week. I don't know if you saw that one, but yeah, no, the, I didn't. the word sombrero so, was used in official capacity. So, <laughs> there's there's some tensions going across the NRL right now, especially with Brandon Smith's agent coming out and alluding that there were illegal payments offered to his cl- uh, client uh, during his negotiation process with several NRL clubs. So, uh, yeah, the NRL, the uh, the most legit competition going around when it comes to salary caps. But, yeah, yeah. For, for the Eels, it, it's a difficult problem, mate, but they've got to find a solution, don't they? They, they do. Uh, this week, uh, well, today, as part of Match Day, I, I put out a Spotlight article where... I was trying to focus on the positive because I honestly believe that the positive exists and that we were a genuine chance of 
beating the Seagulls. And I think tonight validated. Yeah, it didn't dissuade any, like anything from that opinion. No, and and again, it was a scenario of that it was the Eels that were their own worst enemy, mm-hmm. and I mean, the, you can you can put some of this down to early season clunkiness in some parts where uh, or things not quite gelling where we paid the ultimate penalty because of the fact that we've been playing uh, teams that are tipped to be finalists as well. But the converse has to be there, which is that the Eels should be considered to be top four contenders. Aspirational, yeah, exactly. Definitely top eight contenders. So those teams have had to face a contender as well. They've done, they've handled some key moments just a bit better than what we have. We've still seen equal numbers of tries that have been scored in the first week and the, um, uh, well, it was in the first week until such time as the try was Golden scored point. in extra time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was equal tries last week as well, wasn't it? I believe so. Let me just quickly gander, yeah. have a gander. But, uh, it's so look here. It was five apiece. Yeah, goal kicking the difference was yep, Braden Trendle yep. hitting all his opportunities. Yep, and then again tonight we had six tries apiece, and it was a case of missed opportunities from the kicking tee. Ah, mate, you know it's as I said, I'm angry. I, you know, it's as as a as a supporter, it's tough to deal with these moments where you get disappointed it's not going to not going to dissuade me from believing that a victory is possible next week but every week that a loss happens you just make it a harder job in the head yep don't you because that negativity has the chance to creep in mm-hmm. and how deeply the eels believe that they can get a win over the panthers i'm not sure um you have to hope that they're going to stay positive, and that um, like, I mean, we're going to see we're going to see fans putting the boot in. I mean, to an extent, we put the boot in tonight because we pointed out the self self destruct aspects of the performance. But I'd like to think that in talking point counterpoint, that the positives have been highlighted, but we just keep finding negatives we keep finding ways to lose and I can't get away from that and it's until we can find a way to be just a lot more professional in icing the games right now in and fixing up errors in whatever way that we can um, it's not going to change and as I was saying to you before I don't know how, do, how does a coach stop these sorts of errors because we've we've even talked about it with junior reps where there's lots of errors happening, but you don't want to stop a team from attacking with the football. You don't want a team to stop um, having, you know, having a crack at an opportunity when it's there. Um, you just, I mean, I feel that the errors are more unforced than forced. Like I don't think we're actually making the errors at times doing 
too much. I mean, I know you spoke before saying you prefer them to hold on to the ball here and there at a certain point here and there. But man, some of the some of the errors as well, like what we saw tonight, they were just there was some simple unforced stuff. Yep. As well. Yeah, yeah um, and it's just been the unfortunately the subtext of our first three losses has been runs of good football undermined massively by these poor, poor passages of defensive and offensive displays. Like, you know, on an individual and team level, we're just letting ourselves down, we're shooting ourselves in the feet. And what should have or could have been 3-0 is 0-3. And with the Panthers and the Roosters on the horizon, and let's not take the Tigers for granted after that too. Because no. we, we know they're going to aim up against us. They're going to see, blood, as bad as they're going, they're going to see blood in the water. They ambushed us on Easter Monday last year. You know, well, the thing is, they're going to come in, no matter how they're going, we know that they will come in with a positive mindset when they take on the Eels. Yeah, That's looking, just looking how they to, always... Looking to play their best football, even if yeah. their, their club is struggling. And, you know, it has been across the last few years, and they need to sugarcoat that. But they were aiming up they, against were us. Were they 0-6 or something were, like that? They, they were 0-5 or 0-6 when they came into that game with Jackson yep. Hastings kicking that field goal. So yep. we know we're going to get the best or the best effort, maybe not the best football, but the best effort that they can put in against us. Uh, and then, you know, you've got the Bulldogs, the Broncos, and the Knights. So none of those are gimmies too, even with Newcastle. So yeah. the, And the Broncos especially. So, Well, across across three grades now, we are 0 and 7, and that's my little segue into saying that we've got to uh, put all this behind us now, mate, you and I, because we've got Big uh, weekend, two grade yeah. tomorrow night out at Blacktown. We've got the Jersey flag. And the New South Wales Cup, where the Eels are taking on the Sea Sea Eagles, the Black uh, the Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles, in the case of the New South Wales Cup, out at Blacktown. So it's a manly home game out there, but Six it's a and nice seven thirty pm kickoff for us to to travel. And then on Saturday, it's out to Brookvale Oval for us. Four um, grades. Four four grades to cover. We've got uh, the. Uh, Lisa Fiola Cup, which is the under-17s development for team for the uh, female pathways. We've got the under-16s development squad then for the boys. That, and these are all taking on Manly. Then we've got the Harold Mats taking on Manly. And we've got the SG Ball taking on Manly out of Brookvale. So you'll get four grades of live blog coming to you on the Cumberland Throw. On Saturday, of course, preceded by the two grades tomorrow night. So, mate, that's probably where we should wrap things up. Uh, where we're, we're not going to find the answer tonight, no. unfortunately. And I know, and we know emotions got to run high. More than happy to see some critical discussion of the ills, of the loss, of the season uh, in the blog. But, you know, keep it civil. You know the rules, guys. Play nice and there won't have to be any moderation because everyone's hurting right now. <laughs> you know, it, it is not fun doing a post or instant reaction sort of post-game podcast. I can tell you that. You know, yeah, and uh, I'd like to think if anyone thinks that we're glossing over anything, uh, maybe they need to listen back to what we've, we've I, had to say. I don't doubt that we've missed, you know, errors here and there in terms of players we could critique, but, you know, we know things are bad. We know that we've dug a hole, for the, or the team has dug a hole for themselves. So there is a lot of work to do in the next month. You know, and it starts with a home game against the Penrith Panthers, followed up by an away trip to the Sydney Roosters. So, I mean, you go two, you go two and oh on that stretch, and you're back to on three, and obviously, you know, your season's starting to right itself. But, mate, that is a gargantuan undertaking to take those two wins. So the, the club's got a bit of soul-searching to do in the next week or so, mate. 
Absolutely, mate. But uh, we'll be backing up and uh, we'll be out at the club again next week. So uh, we look forward to seeing people there. Mm -hmm. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Okay, go you wheels.